Hello. Hello and God bless. Um, welcome to the Blind Boy podcast. You're listening to this on Stephen's Day, I'm guessing. Um, if you're choosing this as an opportunity to show this podcast to members of your family, don't. Go back to an earlier one. Choose your favourite one. Choose your favourite one. And if you're a new listener, just go back to the very start anyway. If you're listening to this, you might be slightly surprised because last week I said to you, um, I was going to skip this week. I was going to not do the podcast this week because I am recording this on Christmas Day and I wanted to, I, w- I just wanted to get fucking shit faced on Christmas Day and not have to worry about doing the podcast. But I got a lot of mails from people who were kind of um, not pissed off, but actually kind of worried. Do you know, I had a lot of people kind of just say they kind of really rely upon this podcast for kind of peace of mind or just out of habit or out of ritual. And other people saying that Christmas for them was going to be stressful. It was going to be lonely. And they were really, really looking forward to having this podcast. So when I read those mails, I was like, yeah, fuck I really should um, be kind of mindful of of people like that and find time to just do the podcast, which is what I'm doing right now. Which is no great inconvenience to me, to be honest. Um, so here it is. Um, now it's a it's a slight compromise. This is going to be a live podcast. But it is a very well recorded live podcast and it's good crack so it won't interfere with any podcast hug. So it's Christmas Day here for me. It'll be St. Stephen's Day for you when you're listening to this. Um, Have I any news? Not really. Uh, I bought myself a copy of a game called Red Dead Redemption for Christmas. Um. So I've been playing a little bit of that. Fucking fantastic. It's the closest thing a video game has ever come to. Like a box set or a drama. Like it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a video game. I'm I'm overwhelmed by the sheer size of it. Uh, very interested in characters. Interested in the narrative. It's, it's a new experience. They've done something very new. Uh, so fair play. Do I have any criticisms of it? Yes. A little bit. Red Dead Redemption 2 is kind of a western cowboy game set in 1900 and it's like the end of the western era and there's there's good politics behind it it's about it's about the cowboys in the old west how they kind of became irrelevant as federal america became a nation do you know so the characters in this game are trying to push towards rest the west to be free, to have freedom outside the law and away from federalism, the federal American government. Because the Americans historically had this thing around the 18th century, I think it was, even earlier. It was called Manifest Destiny, right? So the east coast of America had been colonised and taken from the, the First Nation peoples. And then they were like, but there's this huge swathe of country to the west 
So they called on, on the average person, the people, manifest your own destiny. Go west. Alright? Frontierism, basically. Frontierism. Go west as a civilian into the badlands and take whatever you want. It's yours. Okay? Utter freedom. There's pastures, there's whatever, but you are the avant-garde. Go west. Found your towns. You know, take the land, whatever you want to do. It's... Like, manifest destiny, like, do you know what I mean? It's completely fetishised. We as Irish people, we're essentially... Culturally, we're an, we're an American colony, you know? All of the West is an American colony because American uh, cultural output kind of defines our culture, our popular culture anyway. So this idea of manifest destiny, you know, this it's fetishised in America. Manifest your destiny, the great West. Go and find land for yourself you know, take the plentiful fruits of the trees and plant your crop and start your free towns and escape the the oppression of Europe that you left, the hardship of Europe, to have full bellies and never want for anything, you know. And also the fetishization of a thing called the Oregon Trail. And the Oregon Trail was basically a human caravan of, of many, many people going through Oregon which was a path where people would go west, I believe, to manifest destiny and create their towns or cities or farmlands, whatever. And through years and years of American media, you know, we've been told what wonderful things, look at how this wonderful country was created through manifest destiny and the Oregon Trail. And they're just describing, like, very brutal colonialism. Like, yes, the people were escaping Ireland or Poland or whatever the fuck, but... At the expense of the the native peoples that were living there. So it's much more similar to what, like we in Ireland, we've got the, the plantations of Ulster. Um, or not just Ulster, the plantations of Ireland were Queen Elizabeth, I believe. I could be fucking up my history seriously here now, lads. Because I don't know, was Cromwell involved in this? I think Queen Elizabeth told Cromwell, I think to go and colonise Ireland. If it wasn't Cromwell, Elizabeth definitely set up the, the second Tudor invasion. That's what it was called. And it's where Ireland was planted with Scottish Protestants, essentially. And we look back on that as Irish people as this horrendously brutal time that utterly eradicated the culture and the Irish people, the native Irish people, in a very aggressive, brutal way, the Brits said to these planters, go to Ireland, it's yours, take what you fucking want, fuck the locals. That's what Manifest Destiny was, with the Yanks, and the Oregon Trail. I mean, it's ironic that the Yanks fetishised the Oregon Trail, which is, you'll see it in, uh, there's, a, there's a good film on Netflix at the moment called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, by the Corn Brothers, and one of the little stories in that is about the Oregon Trail. But America fetishizes this historic trail of immigrants that go across Oregon in search of freedom in the West. And it's no different than what's happening right now in America with the border and Trump. These people from all around the world, from, from Africa to Pakistan to Guatemala to Honduras making the big, long human caravan trip all the way up 
to the border wall of America because that's their manifest destiny. They believe that they will become millionaires when they get to America because American media has presented itself to the rest of the world as this amazing land of wonderful riches and very, very poor people are making dangerous fucking journeys from Africa to South America all the way up to the border to be met now with Trump's fucking wall. How did I get onto this rant? Red Dead Redemption 2. So that's kind of the background of the, of the video game. Um, one thing that's... Like the detail in the video game is astounding. The, the horse that you have in the game... Their testicles shrink... Depending on the climate in the game. So... I just found myself marvelling at a digital horse's testicles... Shrinking. Because I was going into a colder climate in the game. Amazing attention to detail. But they also... There's a lot of Irish characters in the game. And they could have done better accents. Put it that way. Some of the accents are disgraceful. Um, one or two of the accents are, are authentic. And they got real Irish people to do it. Others, it's clearly a yank doing a bad Irish accent. And there's lots and lots of Irish characters in the game. They have a gang called the O'Driscolls. Like, so that was disappointing. Like what they should have done was... Like, the game is set in the 1900s. What Irish people were fleeing the poverty? Or in 1900s, you'd have had... Like, the famine was only 40 years before that, so they'd still have areas of Ireland that were destroyed by the famine. I want some accent. I want someone from Gort. I want to be playing this game, and I want to be firing bullets at a man from Gort who's hiding behind a rock, screaming at me in a Gort accent to stop shooting at him. That's what I want. If you're going to shrink... A digital horse's testicles. Then hire a few people from Gart to do some accents for the game, please. So as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm sitting down on my couch with a couple of cans and I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And I won't be doing anything creative. I won't be thinking about creativity. I, I won't even... I will try my best... Not to analyse the game from a perspective of cultural Marxism. Which I think already I've failed. Um, I watched a bit of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory there earlier as well because it, it was on television. I don't watch television except when it's Christmas Day. Then I go, well I have to watch television now. So I turned on the television and is it called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Not the one with Johnny Depp, not that weird one. The original one with uh, Gene Wilder from the 70s. And I have one of those HD TVs, like a 4K HD TV. And it does this thing. There's a name for it, but I can't think of it. But HD TV, what it will do is it'll get films, right? And it'll make them look really HD. And it does it in, in an unnatural fashion. It, I think it does a thing called interpolation, right? So if you have a film from the 70s, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, this was filmed on 35mm film. It's a bit grainy, it's a bit blurry. You know, when you look at it, you want to get the feeling of, ah, this looks like the 70s. This feels like it was made in the 70s. It sounds like it was made in the 70s. 
that aesthetic is what makes you get that nostalgic buzz whereby you enjoy Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It takes you back to an earlier time and place. But I watched it on a HD television and it interpolated it. So what it does is software in the television, if the image is slightly blurry or whatever or a little bit out of detail, this weird software kicks in and sharpens the image to make it look HD. So now I'm watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and it looks like an episode of fucking EastEnders. It doesn't look like a film. It doesn't look like a movie. It has that ultra-sickening sharpness. And any time the camera was moving, it was highly... It was very obvious. And other little things like... If it doesn't feel... If it didn't feel like I was I was watching EastEnders, other times it felt like... Not like I was watching a movie, but rather I was on set. And I was looking at the bit, that beautiful bit where he sings the song in, in A World of Imagination or whatever it's called. And you see the chocolate factory for the first time. You see the beautiful, you know, the the, the land of sweets where there's candy cane trees and the, you can eat cream out of the mushrooms growing out of the ground. And when I was a kid looking at this, like this was wonderful. This was heaven. It's like, I want to go there. This is amazing. Look at all those sweets. This is, what a wonderful, happy place. But because I'd watched it in HD, this false, hyper-real 2018 interpolated image, all I could see was how fake the set was. I could see that the trees were plastic, that it wasn't edible. I could see that the green was a sickening plastic green that you'd have in a cheap pitch and put course the cream mushroom no longer had wonder when your one fucking violet what's her face or whatever the fuck she calls herself she breaks open this giant blueberry and tries to eat jam out of it like it looked very sad so my experience was marred my experience of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was marred by this HD TV thing. It's such a stupid thing. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that I've even said it to you now. Because if you haven't noticed it. And you've got a HD TV. It will be all you've noticed. Like. Lord of the Rings looks like a pile of shit. On a HD TV. It's really really. And it makes you. Things I'd never spot. So I was watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I had the scene where Gene Wilder. Is walking down the red carpet. For the first time revealing himself to the public. As Willy Wonka. And because the image was so sharp. And so perfect. And I can see every detail. Gene Wilder's walking along. And he's on a carpet. But because I can see that this is a carpet. And it's a grain of carpet. And the sheer detail of it. Is assaulting my eyes. I now become aware. That the sound of Gene Wilder's footsteps. The Foley artistry. Foley artistry. is it's, That's the name for how sounds are created in films but Gene Wilder's footsteps didn't match the carpet so he's walking along a fucking carpet but it sounds like he's walking on concrete I would not have noticed that if I was looking at the original what cunt is texting me on Christmas day no thank you but like the sound of his feet didn't match the texture of the carpet I wouldn't have noticed that if I was looking at the original slightly blurry imperfect 1970s version you know I my my eyes are drawn to extras in the background 
it just, it destroys cinema. Everything the director tried to do. Like a, a director's telling a story. The director's telling a visual story. They're guiding your eyes. They're guiding your emotions. They want you to feel a certain way. Through the lens of a fucking camera. And when you filter that through perfect modern HD. The director's voice kind of disappears. Now you're just an extra on set. And everything. You can see the falseness of everything. You can see that the costumes are a bit shit. You can see when someone's got a fake beard. So fuck HD television. So, Jesus, I sound like a bit of a bahumbug, don't I? A little bit of a bahumbug, boy, on Christmas. I don't give a fuck about Christmas, I'll be honest. Um, I think it's good. It's it's a, it, you know, it's not good for everybody. It depends. Here's one thing, and I I put a warning out on Twitter when it comes to Christmas. If if you're an adult, right, and you you live away from home. And you've done work on yourself, we'll say, for your mental health. You've grown as a person. Do you know, you've conquered issues with your self-esteem, issues with confidence, issues with happiness. And you are now a stand-on-your-own-two-feet adult with a life of your own. Christmas can be very challenging. Because what happens is, we return to our family of origin, as it's known as. In, could be wrong here, but there's a type of psychotherapy called family systems therapy and I believe the term is family of origin the family you came from so there's a danger and Christmas is a prime example of this so you're an adult out in the big world and you have your own personality and you've done work on yourself you go back to your family of origin and that experience of being around your family and having your parents there or your brothers and sisters can cause you to emotionally regress to a time when you weren't confident, a time when you were anxious, a time when you weren't assertive. What it can do as well is, like, depending on your placement in the family, let's just say you're the oldest member of the family. So, one of the things that you would have had as a kid is that you might be a bit domineering. You might find that you have to watch yourself that you don't dominate or bully people. You might have to be careful that you don't dismiss people. Because, when, you know, that's what older brothers and sisters do when you're children. But that shit doesn't work too well in the real world, so you might have to confront that stuff and get it out of yourself. Similarly, if you're the youngest member of the family, and as a child, you were used to getting dead arms, your older brothers and sisters, you know, you being the last in the pecking order, all of this stuff, that's not going to serve you very well in the real world too. Because here's what happens. When we as humans find a new group of people, okay, it could be anything. It could be a new group in a new workplace. It could be a new group of friends. If we're not self-aware, often what can happen is the position that we most comfortably find ourselves in that group is the position that we would have been in in our families when we were younger. So if you were older and domineering, you can end up being that person in a new group. That can cause a lot of trouble, you know, if you're trying to push people around and you're not even aware of it. Or if you're the youngest in your family, you can go into a new group and all of a sudden find yourself subordinate or trying to please people 
are feeling that other people's opinions are more important because you grew up as the baby and there was older people around you and older people, older children win every time when you're under the age of 10. So we bring this family of origin, of our place in it, into new groups of people. And it's something you have to be aware of and challenge. But when you go back home, yeah, at Christmas, if you're wondering, some people are grand, some people have go back home and it's fantastic. But if you are wondering here today on Stephen's Day, are you feeling a little bit angry? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling less confident? Did you have a huge big scrap yesterday with a brother or sister or a man there? This type of shit. Do you want to get the fuck away from your family home and go back to Dublin or wherever you're working? Do you know what I mean? Having your awareness, most likely the reason these things happen is that you've returned to your family of origin and tools and ways of being and ways of fitting into the group that were relevant when you were a child you may have discarded them now as an adult and now you're back there it can cause regression unhealthy regression doesn't have to not everybody but just have it in your awareness that's probably why you might be feeling a bit irritable today have have mindfulness around it and again like I said with my, my podcast with transaction analysis a few months back once you bring any of this into your awareness you have control over it then do you know so there's a test for you if yesterday you found yourself slipping back into a an unhelpful childhood role have it in your awareness today and try and challenge it and what that would mean really is, is don't take the bait if a sibling says something or does something or acts a certain way and this, for you, triggers an emotional reaction, whether this reaction is anger or subordination or to react, to clap back, catch it in yourself and don't go there. Because you don't have to because you're a fucking adult now. These are all unconscious processes, do you know? 22 fucking minutes talking out of my hoop. It's a live podcast this week. My guest is the absolutely magnificent Tara Flynn. Tara is a comedian, voiceover artist. She's a legend. She's also an activist. She was hugely important in bringing about the early awareness of of Repeal the Eighth, the, the fight for getting abortion for people in Ireland. Tara was instrumental at that. in that. She was one of the first public voices to really step up and bring the conversation to wider Ireland, you know. So Tara's a legend. And she's funny and she's really interesting. And she's a pal and she's class. So I'm going to be playing that interview for you in a while. Before I do that, I think we'll have our ocarina pause. I don't know where the fucking cunt is. Hold on. And the microphone has gone upside down. What do I have? I'll tell you what I have. I have uh, one of those really powerful butane lighters. Like a storm lighter. So I'll, I'll try and play that and not set fire to the microphone. 
So for Christmas, we'll have a, a very special storm lighter pause instead of the ocarina. Um, the reason we do this is because there might be some digital adver- adverts. So this is like a warning so you don't get surprised by an advert. Here is the storm lighter pause. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Oh, yeah. Listen to that. That's not bad, is it? Pure blue flame. So that was the Stormlighter pause for Christmas. Or Stephen's Day, whatever the fuck. Yeah, I'm not mad about Christmas, I tell you why. I just don't like the way everything, um, like, shuts down. Now, it, look, fair enough, people need days off. That's fantastic, that's brilliant. But, I just, it, it just feels like it's a bit of an apocalypse. An apocalyptic feeling that makes me feel uneasy. So I do, I like it when shit gets back to normal and stuff has regular hours. I tell you one thing that I'm grateful for. The one thing that gets on my goat about Christmas is when it's Christmas, the period between Christmas and New Year's, you just never know what day it is. You don't know what day it is because Christmas Day, it never has a day. It's Christmas fucking day. And every year this is the case and it feels like I've been hit into the head with the mal- by the mallet of life. What it takes, I have to readjust myself back to knowing what day it is. But at least now, because... My podcast comes out on a Wednesday. I have the gift of knowing. Today is fucking Wednesday. Because my podcast comes out. So fuck off Christmas. Fucking with my interpretation of days. And the day after. Tomorrow. That's going to be Thursday. So it's grand. So for the first time on on this planet. I, I know my days at Christmas. Before I go into the live podcast, this podcast is sponsored by you, the listener. Okay, 
It is funded by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. Um, if you would like to contribute, if you, if you want to be a patron of this podcast, if you if you like this podcast and you're like, I like what Blind Boy is doing. He's doing this for free. If I met Blind Boy in real life, would I buy him a coffee? Would I buy him a pint once a month? If the answer to that is yes, there's a way for you to do it. Sign up to the Patreon page and you can become a patron of this podcast and buy me the equivalent of a cup of coffee or a pint or whatever once a month and that keeps me going keeps the podcast going pays my bills i'm i'm a happy camper and it's a suggested it's suggested patronage suggested donation everyone gets the same podcast whether you pay for it or not um some people some people can't afford it so if you're if you can afford it and you pay for it, it's like you're paying for that other person who can't. I, I like the model. I do like the model. Anything else I have to say? Tara has a podcast. Who Tara, who I'm going to be interview, interviewing in a couple of minutes. She has a podcast called Tara Noya. Go and listen to it. It's fantastic. Um. Okay, God bless. I'll talk to you next week. I'll have some hot takes. <laughs> Um, I'm going to bring on my guest uh, She's a comedian She's an activist She's a fucking legend It's Tara Flynn <laughs> How are you Tara? Hello blind boy How are you? I am unreal <laughs> um, how, how are you getting on? Because you're after banning yourself from Twitter yeah, I, I banned myself from Twitter. Yeah, I. Um, How were you finding that? Is it, is it as amazing as I imagine it is? It is pretty amazing. Uh, it's been weird work-wise. It's been weird in terms of uh, audience because that was pretty much where I like mm-hmm. because I've been doing work, work on repeal and all of that in the last few years. Um, but it, as we all have, but it's um, let's forgive yourselves a clap. You all did it. But um, thank you. Um, but it it meant that I wasn't focusing on work as much as I could have and uh, so Twitter was a real way to engage with people and that that's gone so that has been an interesting absence but there's also an absence of people sitting there all day going to bait me and um, that's been fine <laughs> yeah uh, like what, what was it that made you was it the general addiction of Twitter or was it a level of abuse that was being thrown at you or just a, a, a myriad of all those things together? It was a few of those things together. I mean, I, I loved Twitter, but I had a kind of a healthy attitude to it. I used it for activism. I used it for jokes. It was great for connecting with people. Um, but I, there was a, an absolute shit ton of abuse. And I, not, it's not just the stuff that people say. It's that that level of energy is being yeah. expended at getting online Freaky. to tell you that is like um there were a few i mean um there were a few moments after directly after the referendum in may where i was afraid to leave the house because people would say does it ever come offline well you're always offline yeah so you know it that that stuff and the fact that people have created this avatar of you they don't know you yeah. They don't even know your work. Yeah. They've just made this avatar of you online that they want to hate. So I'm, I, you know, I hope I provided a, a public service, um, in terms of a, you know, providing a punch bag. But it's nice not to be punched all day yeah. long too. Um, 
like you've got a podcast now. I do, yeah. Which is class. It's good crack. But do you not miss being on Twitter to promote the podcast? Yeah, I do. I do because I went from having, you know, oh, listen, now it's lessons. This is a schooling. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be brilliant to have thousands and thousands of followers, which I did on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I'm having to build from the ground up, but there's something, there's a lovely challenge in that too. I have. <clears throat> There'll be one million people listening to this. So can you tell everybody what, what is the name of your podcast? Christ, no messing. It's called, um, and I suppose this is a, a feature of, of post-referendum and trying to figure things out again. It's called Taranoia. <laughs> oh, hello, 10 fans. Thank you so much. See, we're building from the ground up, but we're in it together, and I love you for that. It's called Taranoia because... You know, you talk a lot about anxiety, but I have my own special brand of fear and insecurity. Oh, Christ. We all have it. <laughs> but mine is worse. <laughs> and it obviously intersects with paranoia. Yeah, it does, definitely. Yeah, that sounds, like, yeah. that sounds like a great time. It's a great time. And that's why Twitter was a bad place to be. Yeah. When, when you're sitting there with your shoulders up going, I think I'll just log on. <laughs> Maybe drop the shoulders and go, Maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe I'll think of what the next podcast would be or ring someone, see if they'd like to come on. Will you please like and subscribe to Tara's podcast? Ah, thank Cause, you. No, because that's... It's essential, because, like, I'd love to not be on Twitter, and I just can't, like, it's... I know. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a loss in that way, but honestly... Louise O'Neill, she, she hasn't been on Twitter in six months, and no. I, I was talking to her the other day, and she's like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It, they're... they're the, I, it's very hard to describe and it's like uh, you know I hate to say it but the abuse is gendered um, no it's not <laughs> no it's not <laughs> you know, what a wanker <laughs> but so you get you get extra stuff on top of what so you I mean of course you're going to get abuse you've got a yeah. you know, shit ton of followers so you're going to get loads of abuse but it's not just the abuse that you'd expect as a comedian or for the work that you do which is like you're stupid you're not funny uh, it goes into really personal, personal stuff yeah. and uh, just that that takes away from your creativity then Absolutely. Because all you're doing on there, you, might, you, you might go on and say, uh, hey, here's a picture of my cat. You fucking bitch with your fucking yeah. cat. <laughs> Fuck, what about homelessness, you prick? Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, homelessness is a terrible thing. And let's figure it out. Also, cats, you know. But they, they spend, I, I tell you a fucking, I tell you a mad one. Uh, Limerick Animal Welfare adopted a bunch of cats from Turkey, you know? And they, oh, I saw that documentary, yeah. the Istanbul documentary. Yeah, so they, 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 took, they took some Turkish cats and <laughs> they were really proud of it. Like, yeah, we got these cats from Turkey. We haven't been Limerick now. Legit, underneath the post, what about the Irish cats? <laughs> For real. Look, the second you go online, the second you're in public, you're going to get some kind of criticism, like you, you are. But it's very different from being swarmed or targeted. Yeah. Or a group, even if it's a small group, because it, it goes, goes in different... It used to sort of vary. It was always different. Every day was different. Who would it be today? The three Madsers, or will it be all of America telling me oh. <laughs> that I'm a race traitor because my husband's African-American. So um, <laughs> which one of those joys will it be? So it became not a good place for me to be. Um, and become other a fan are, of the black button? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, God, straight yeah. away. And I, I would always say to people, because there's this, there's this brilliant, I say brilliant because it's been really effective for the people it's effective for, but it's really cynical. This whole thing that everyone has to debate everybody. 
and you don't. No. You don't owe anyone your no. time. And the whole thing, you're a coward if you block. What are you doing on Twitter? Well, like, if I go to the pub and someone taps me on the shoulder and says, you're shit, I can choose to leave the pub or I can say to the bartender, this is happening and see if they want to act on it. And nobody would mind. Nobody would if mind. If someone come up to you in a pub and gave the amount of abuse that you would get online in a pub, yeah. most people around there would go, this person needs to be asked to leave. Yeah. But most rational people would. But when it, uh, uh, suddenly when it's online, it's like, no, Tara, you must stay in the pub, and so must he, and you must debate, and we must yes. be able, we must all get to watch. The, here in this pub, here in this pub known as the marketplace of shit ideas, we are going to stay until the bitter end, until yeah. one of you dies from bleeding through the eyes through debate. It's not, um, like, I know, I would, I would get, a, I, w I would say one sixteenth of the amount of abuse I would get if I was a woman. Like, I get my abuse online, but not as much as I'd get if I was... Sure, I know myself, even if I retweet a woman, the <laughs> level of abuse that comes in just from that act, you know? But... <laughs> you prick with your no-cats. <laughs> <laughs> what I've found... I, I used to not block, because I used to think, oh, they deserve to be heard and all of this. <laughs> and then I started to realise... <laughs> then, then I started to realise... Uh, <laughs> Jesus, no, if, if I get called a prick 16 times a day... I'm trying to enjoy my dinner, and it's like, I'm worried. Uh, now it's like, I've been called a prick 16 times, and my fish fingers taste less nice than they... <laughs> do you know? But what I started to... Now that they're prick fingers. I started to realise that my, my job, my actual job, and how I earn a living is social media. Mm. So if someone is screaming and roaring at me, honest, that's the emotional labour of my job. Yeah. And I can choose how much emotional labour I want, and I don't want that much. So I just block the cunts. Well, that's true. But also, I mean, that's exactly right. You, you, it's not your, your job is not to deal with whatever is going on for them that day. You're not, you don't have to take that. And it's like, it, we've all seen it where, you know, we might be friends with someone on social media for a bit and then something goes wrong, we, something we disagree with. And these mad standards everyone seems to have is like, you've got to be all the way this or all the way that. And yeah. if you fuck up in one direction at all, it's like, um, actually, you know, I think um, dogs are okay. Oh, fuck you, I thought you were a cat guy. You know, and it's like, you know, I think block straight away and just go, I, if the person arrives in an abusive way, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. And that's not a discussion. So, yeah, let it go. Um, there's another thing. I, I, I've been doing this for a while now and it, it works too. So if someone, if someone throws abuse at me and goes, uh, all the music you've ever made is shit, <laughs> what I would do is I'd look at the comment and I'd go, there's a man called Aaron from Offaly, and Aaron from Offaly thinks everything I've made is shit. I'm all right with that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When you, read, yeah. when you, pers when you give it, a, Aaron might think Coldplay are amazing. Yeah. Do you know, so you can't. It's so subjective. Um, and that's the thing, like, if it's your work, and that's, that's part of the deal. Like, I mean, you know, if someone goes to a gig you do or you make a video, you put it out there, not everyone's going to like it, and that is fine. And every now and again, they'll take the time to at you to tell you about that. And that's also fine. It's really depressing. But it's fine. You expect it. When someone is just telling you your shit because they're having a shit day, you don't have to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and another thing I've realised, too, is... Like, I get loads of criticism online, right? But I get legitimate criticism. And usually people who are giving me legitimate criticism, they tend to do it via direct message. Yeah, it's private. It's a Helpful, discussion. Helpful, yeah. yeah. It's like, I didn't like this thing you said. Here's why. And I love that. That's really respectful. Yeah. And I, I grow and learn from it. But sometimes, if someone's excessively angry, especially if it's about something to do with creativity, what it tells me is that's how hard they are on themselves 
when they're trying to create something. And when I view it through that lens of sadness, I then have a bit of compassion for him. And yeah, I don't I get don't. angry. All right. <laughs> you're, you're a better person than me, blind boy. Honestly, <laughs> I'm over it. I used to be like that. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've become a hardened, cruel... You wouldn't know it by the sparkly trousers. But I'm a hardened woman now. Well, fucking fair play. But again, like I said, <laughs> this is why... Please subscribe to Tara's podcast because... If someone's not using social media, those subscribers on a podcast are the lifeblood, really, you know? Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, I'm actually, and this might sound weird, but I'm actually really loving the people who are finding it by themselves and the people who are, are writing yeah. to me and saying that, that they're getting something from it. And, you know, the first the first episode's kind of strange unless you live in Ireland, uh, but I had to do it. I had to say where I was at, you know, what had happened post the repeal referendum, why I was making a podcast, all that. The rest of them sort of rolled from there, but the first one had to be made, but I kind of I kind of wouldn't start there, if I were you. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think one of my favourite ones is actually I brought my, um, I brought my husband in and yeah. we talked about race. I threw myself under the bus. Well, we might come back to that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's number nine. Start with number nine where I, I talk about what a prick I am. Um, come here, Tara, what's the crack with Protestants? No. <laughs> I'm actually well-placed to answer this. Go on. Because I'm from... I'm, I was brought up Catholic, but I... <laughs> I was brought up in a town called Kinsale in County Cork, where, which was the last garrison town in Ireland. Is Kinsale uh, the one that was stolen by Algerian pirates? No. That Baltimore? That was Baltimore. Yeah. But I believe the ship, when they went to the king to ask if... They had to go to London to ask the king if they'd go after the people that stole the, the pirates to get the people back, the Baltimore people back. And the king said no. Yeah. Yeah. But Kinsale, they left for, from Kinsale for that, I think. Yeah. So do you know about that you story? You know that, don't you? The entire population of Baltimore was kidnapped by Algerian pirates. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. It's but not funny. It, it's, it's, you know, it's only funny when you think of people from Baltimore now. Because, you know, it, like, they're kind of posh. And same with Kinsale. You just well, imagine them. Well, now it's all Germans who came to Ireland in the 70s to make goat's cheese and have open relationships. But in... What is it with Cork and that? <laughs> what? No, Honestly, what is I know this. I, I know this. This is true. This is true. And I put it in a show that I did. This is absolutely true. But do you remember? Um, you don't. You're all too young. But do you remember the 70s? Anyway, in the 70s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the 70s, what happened was, well, first of all, it was quite a creative place and all that. But there was this rumor that was put out by a German newspaper that in the event of a nuclear holocaust, prevailing southwesterly winds would whisk any fallout magically wow. away from West Cork. It was where Jim Jones, you know, the Guyana guy, the cult yeah, guy, yeah, he yeah. was considering coming to, I mean, I, I don't know, he didn't survive anything. He, you know, they all drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know why he was worried about fallout. But anyway, probably wanted the goat's cheese. It's very good. It's very good in West Cork. Anyway, so they all came there to live this kind of very free, open life and, uh, and avoid the, the, the um, mushroom clouds, I guess. Fucking hell. There was no truth to this, but it was in a German newspaper. And then it, Cork just happened to have the English market with a perfect amount of people willing to buy loads of goat's cheese. There's that. Well, they would actually buy the goats themselves and make, try to start making the goat's cheese. They'd have their own independent goat's cheese businesses. And then and there were a lot of second-hand goats knocking around. Did Germans have any experience of uh, goat cheese making? No. They just went straight into it. They were usually kind of corporate people leaving the corporate world behind... In fact, our, our next one... So I grew up in the countryside outside Kinsale. And the, so we were in what had used to be an old kind of schoolhouse. 
But next door, what would have been the old estate, Glendonine estate, there was this woman there. She was absolutely incredible. And um, she used to make, my sister and I, she was really, this was their country, their summer house. They lived, they were from Vienna, and this was their summer house, was this old Georgian house in the country. And when we'd go up, um, this is why I know about Protestants, because she would make my sister and I curtsy when we went into the oh house. Oh, Christ. <laughs> we were like, but sure, we're going to hell. <laughs> is there any point in this curtsying? Um, so, yeah, there was a, yeah, it was huge, really mixed group of people. And actually, it was kind of a cool place to grow up because you had the people, as they say, and it's the joke about Kinsale, there's the haves and the haves y have yachts. <laughs> 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 and we were like, like total mid, like, bog standard middle class. We were in the middle. We, were, we lived in the countryside, but we didn't have a farm. So we'd, we'd come in on the school bus with the kids who lived out in the countryside and we'd be, uh, you know, everyone went to school together. That was the thing. The people who had yachts and people whose parents were unemployed, everyone was in the same school. So that was kind of an interesting background. So it was very, very mixed. But yeah, so, and then the Protestants went to Bandon Grammar. Yeah. What? So yeah, Cork's got a lot of Protestants. My ma claimed that she used to be able to recognise Protestants by their walk. <laughs> And, uh, Away from the parish church. <laughs> yeah. And her other thing is that, uh, what is it? Protestants are just as bad at drinking as Catholics, except they know how to hide it. <laughs> it, was, it. It tended to be, and I do remember the tail end of, there were still kind of people called Colonel this, or whatever. Yeah. I remember the very tail end of that. Oh, it was about a hundred. But they would drink sherry. Yeah. But like all day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's grand because it's sherry. It's sherry. It's grand because yeah. it's sherry. But it's lit these little little glasses. But it was that sort of an accent. A good girl. I remember all that. Yeah. And I remember it's really weird because it's mad how a, a little bit further back, my mum, who grew up in in Doris, um, down in down near Bantry, very very small village, and there were a lot. There was a lot of gentry as they call mm -hmm. them and uh, my mum says no but she I remember having this conversation with her and just going wow it's amazing how even a generation on we, we sort of see that stuff more and she said no they were really lovely to us they'd let us come in sometimes and sit at the table it's <laughs> mad isn't that mad how the older generation just thought the Protestants were like had two heads and completely different they were they were definitely Is anyone from West Cork here <laughs> yay a few small West Cork people and do you know any Protestants one or two. Yeah. I've nothing against Protestants. Like, who the fuck am I? I like, I practically am a Protestant. I went on to the late, late and said that fucking communion wafers aren't the body of Christ. <laughs> like, that's, that's ultimate Protestant lingo, like. Yeah. It's their whole shtick is protesting that. I mean, I mean, Mum also talks about how one of the reasons she knew that she probably didn't have a deep faith was because she was told that her next door neighbours down in Doris, who were Protestants, um, and they weren't wealthy ones at all, they were farmers, and so they were very, very close, the two families, and she was told, you know, they were, they were going to hell. And that was, that, was, it was, yeah. that was a deal breaker for her. Yeah. That was a big <laughs> thing, the poor old Protestants, oh, yeah. they're a lovely family, but they're going to hell. They're going to hell. <laughs> that was a thing, yeah. There's an in interesting thing in, uh, there's certain strands of Protestantism. I don't know what we've been talking about Protestantism for 15 fucking minutes, but... Uh, <laughs> you started this, but I'm delighted. I feel at home. If you look at some of like the, uh, like Calvinism and things like that, they got obsessed with, with food and food and um, sin and bodily passion. So there's a lot of food that we eat, like cornflakes is one, and graham crackers and cream crack. Think of bland food that we eat every day. Protestant invented it as a way to not get the horn. <laughs> Seriously. 
cornflakes and shit like that, it's like, what, what can I eat that's so fucking bland that it won't possibly start any degree of sexuality within me? But top it off with a bit of goat's cheese. See, there you go now. And see what happens. And they make chorizo. There's that goobean chorizo down in West Cork, isn't there? Are you laughing at my pronunciation? We've, we've all... <laughs> Chorizo, isn't it? What is it? I don't know. Ch- ch- I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm from Cork, not from Spain. I make a type of Spanish chorizo stew, which is like a... Prod. It's not, no, it's like a... <laughs> it's like coddle on a boner. <laughs> no. Have you I've, ever eaten coddle? I've been living in Dublin nearly 30 years. I've never had coddle. And I'm vegetarian now, so those days have gone. Who's eating coddle here? Unironically. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'd eat coddle if you fried the sausage first. <laughs> or is that grounds for crucifixion? Yeah, that's not coddle. You get lashed against the spire. <laughs> um. <laughs> so you were involved in... The, now, this is peak Celtic tiger, I think. Oh, there was a program called the Marbegs, right? Yeah. Which you were involved in. But, like, it's, it's one of the... It's pure Celtic Tiger RTE going... It was pre-Celtic Tiger. Was it? Oh, yeah. What, what, what are we talking? Like, 91, 92? Oh, no. Like, well, like... Celtic ni- Tiger for 96. me is, is 90... Ah, that's the Celtic Tiger. 90, Celtic Tiger is 96 onwards, isn't it? A little after. Is it? Yeah, the kind of... It was a, a cub. A cub, It would have been the 96, cub. 96, 97. 96 is In that we they started. were able to make more bags. There was a bit of a budget. But, yeah, they really went crazy around 98, well, 99. The idea of it, it's like someone up an RTE going, fuck it, man, this Teddy Tubby's thing. This Teddy Tubby's thing is doing well. Like, maybe we should get in on that. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's the whole shtick with the Teddy Tubbies? Well, they're like these giant, like, funny babies and live in this fantasy land. Yeah, let's do that, but um, instead of a fantasy land, it's Cork. It wasn't Cork. It fucking was. No, it was a magical <laughs> castle. So it's a in magical... An indeterminate <laughs> place. And actually, I, I played... The voice of Molly. And Molly um, uh, Molly was actually, I had to Dublin it up a bit. She was meant to be sort of a South Dublin thing. What? And then Rasa was from Cork. Rasa, yeah. Rasa was from Cork. Rasa was from Cork. Yeah. You always got the sense of Rasa with your skinning up, snakey, one skinners, you know? He had that vibe about him. Yeah, Molly... What, Molly, were, they, what were they up to? What used to do? Molly, Molly and Rasa were more big. So if you don't speak Irish, more is big, big is small for the Protestants out there. And uh, so, uh, but more big. So they were, they, were, they were these very big creatures. They were big. They were like, if, if people have ever seen the Honey Monster, if you don't remember the They're more in Fota Island now down in Cork. <laughs> if you, uh, that's what they did with them. <laughs> oh <God. laughs> actually, I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares about that now. Beside a, a, so a river otter. They came to learn the growing tree, which was, I guess, a source of fuel in Morbegland, uh, was dying, and they had to come to uh, our realm because uh, it wasn't another planet or anything. But they came to our realm to learn about growing. Who who conceived this? It, it was. Um, uh, Frances Kay was the writer. She came up with the whole idea. So, and they were, they were these lovely kind of cute characters. But uh, then they lived with magicians. They lived with these adult magicians. And um, it was all totally above board. And, and it was great. It was actually brilliant. It was brilliant the first year. Um, and then the second year, the kids knew because it went out. It went out, and you bring kid, they bring kids in to kind of play with the morbegs or have, have chats. Were or you inside a morbeg? No. I, so I did the voice. 
So there were dancers in these suits and then they, these heads. And they were way bigger than the person, I'm guessing. Way bigger than the person. So they'd add an extra foot and a half almost onto the person's height. So the dancers all had to be 5'2", and then they became almost, almost six foot. They were very big. Big, tall, uh, more bags. But uh, the kids would come in and they'd go, oh, it's Molly and Rasa. And when they go up close to the person in the suit, all they'd hear would be the motors in the head. And they'd go, it's Molly and Rasa. And they'd hear, <laughs> and they go, if any of you are here, we're sorry <laughs> that we ruined your childhoods. But uh, yeah, so that, that's so we would do the voices. We'd use remote controls. The heads were animatronic, and we'd use remote controls to operate the mouths and the eyes and the ears, and the dancers would do the movements. So that was something, actually, because they couldn't really see out of the suits. We'd have to leave the mouths open a little bit so they could see. So if you ever... Uh, there aren't any, really any more big shows left, but if you ever watch them back, you'll see that the, Molly and Ross are always talking or saying or doing something when they're moving, like, ah, there it is. <laughs> That's so we could leave the mouth open so they could see. Um, so I was thinking, like, for this one, I didn't want to make it too repeal-centric because yeah. I'm sure you're sick in the head of being... Yeah, yeah no, it's, it, no it was an, it's an amazing thing that, that the Eighth Amendment was repealed and that... And you were absolutely fucking instrumental in it, like... Well... Like, I, I know you don't like... You don't like saying that, but, like, genuinely, like... I, I, like, I only heard about the Eighth Amendment because of you. Do you know what I mean? And I know, yeah... <laughs> absolute complete well, male privilege no but, but it's uh, a lot of people like you know the the, the pro or the the people who are involved in it were there for ages but yeah a lot of just people who wouldn't be caring about it heard about it through you and the stuff that you were doing well it's funny because when we talk about a grassroots movement this is what we mean everyone did their bit yeah and if your bit was having a bit of a platform that people knew you for something else, like comedy or whatever it was, uh, Roisin Ingle, her platform in the Irish Times, yeah. using those platforms and saying, okay, look, fuck it. We don't talk about this, but it, it happened to me. It happened to me. Yeah. And then take the consequences, which can be, you know, they weren't always great, and a lot of them were bad. Yeah. But ultimately, it got people talking. And then people who weren't engaging with the idea that, that there was this amendment that was stopping us reforming abortion laws here, or reproductive rights in general, because it wasn't just about abortion, then we, we got to reach them, and there was a different kind of conversation. But the conversations had to be have, had on a political level, which I wouldn't have been able to do. Um, they had to be have, had with people currently in crisis, which people like the abortion rights campaign, the abortion support network, they were doing yeah. like, really at the coal face. So there are so many strands and it's really not being self-deprecating when I say we all did it together. Literally every badge that was worn, every conversation that was had, because there were loads of people that I wasn't able to reach. My platform had real limitations, but then someone had a conversation with their, their auntie or, yeah. and then discovered that she was on board all along because yeah. we just weren't talking about it. And then there were people who, whose very firm beliefs will never change, and that's also okay. But now that choice will be available for people who have to make it. Yeah, they still don't have to do it. Um, how do you feel about, uh, like, how Fina Gale we say? Not, not just Fina, well, okay, just Fina Gale. Um, a lot of politicians, but Fina Gale. How do you feel about how they um, <laughs> latched onto it quite late? And I, I mean, I talk about it in terms of a sort of a, a romantic comedy where it's like, you know, uh, they, you've given up all hope. <laughs> 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 and then they show up and you go, you're here. <laughs> because you, did, you just didn't expect it. And it's kind of like 
we needed everyone to show up and we just thought they weren't going to. We thought loads of them weren't going to. So when some people came, and I have to name people like Kate O'Connell yeah. and Simon Harris. So, and as much as you know, we can critique Fine Gael on other things, they feckin' showed no, up can't. on this issue. <laughs> <laughs> They're grand. <laughs> oh, blind boy. How blind you are. <laughs> um, but you do have to praise the bridge as you cross it. And when they showed up, they really showed up. And they took risks within their... Uh, their milieu, which is a very conservative place. And I mean, for a long time, we were told, well, you know, without X or Y party, without X or Y personality, you know, don't hang around too much with the far left. Don't, you know, yeah. we were told all kinds, you know, all kinds of tone policing. You're too much on this side. You're not enough on that side. All that. We were like, everyone's going to have to show up for this to work. And they fucking did. And, you know, fair play to people like Breed Smith, who've been there for a long, long mm -hmm. time. Ruth Coppinger. You know, they really don't get enough credit. They were there when it was on. But Claire Daly, standing up all the time, putting bills, trying to put bills through. But we needed everyone to show up. And even in those very conservative, you know, uh, spaces, they, they did. And that's how it happened, you know. But, yeah, it is like, where, where were you? <laughs> what took you so long? Traffic was a bitch, you know. <laughs> I think that's from one of Robert Altman's films. But it really, I kept thinking of that line. <laughs> where we kept you? Traffic was a bitch. It's like, okay, well, you're here now. Get up the front and get, this, get these bills across and get the right legislation for us. Um, just your general feeling, because I'm suspicious of Fine Gael and... I, I, no, what, I tell you what I feel. I feel that Fine Gael are after figuring out that they can appear to be like woke and cool <laughs> and then not do anything with the <laughs> housing crisis, you know? But still mm. be woke. Like, is it, do you get in that vibe? I, I feel that they're just like uh, preying upon naivety and they're just hoping that people who swing kind of in a liberal way... Well, I think what they want is people who are 21 or 22 now and who are woke for retweets. <laughs> and then they'll get to 25, 26, and they'll see their paycheck and go, fuck it, I'd love to pay way less taxes. Fuck the poor. And then they're going to be Fianna Gael voters. But they got in the door through that little fake wokeness. Look, it's a possibility, but that's why we, that's why we cannot forget how repeal happened, which was grassroots. Yeah. And everything honestly that has to be the new model for everything they work for us whoever's in power yes. works for us and we can keep that pressure on and i think i i never really believed that until i mean marriage equality was a glimmer of it this really the way it worked the way it worked across parties all of that when it finally became when it finally went into leinster house because for the longest time it wasn't happening there yeah um and that we, we all remember that now there won't be the same personalities because that's the nature of it but if different voices come forward we all know that if we row in behind them it'll happen I really, be, I'm, I might be naive now, and, and I know that there's always pushback whenever, whenever something goes forward a little bit in terms of rights, or, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of pushback, or, the, or, or a lot of pushback, or there's another kind of, people go, I'm, I'm sick, of, sick of hearing these woke people, let's yeah. be racist instead. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and then suddenly that gets a bit of weird traction. Yeah. But we, we can't let that dampen us, we have to go... Okay, any little, I, I use it, it's a very oversimplified analogy, but I used it for appeal and I think it can work for anything. If you clean, you know, getting the house clean one corner at a time, one room at a time, if you just clean that corner, or it feels too overwhelming, there's so much that we need to fix. We all know that. And that there doesn't seem to be a lot of motivation to fix from the corridors of power. Now, fair play, they're focusing on one thing at the moment, and because this in this week that this podcast is being recorded, there's the, the health committee on, yeah. on repeal. So Actually, someone was asking about that. The, the question was, 
Um, yeah, it, it, the, the health committee and also about the, the fear that the National Maternity Hospitals, due to the influence of the Sisters of Charity, mm. uh, will not carry out their duties. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And obviously, you know, we came up against this a lot. And here's the weird thing, so and something I need to remind people. I'm feckin' Egypt. <laughs> you know, when people call me an activist, I just open my big mouth. So I don't have any power. I had a bit of a platform, but it wasn't a massive one. Like I wasn't on RTE every week or, you know, I used the platform I had and it kind of grew from there. But it's like, you know, I am an idiot. I'm not an expert. I'm not a political commentator. And I don't, you know, I had to learn about reproductive rights law. I had mm -hmm. to learn a bit about uh, medicine even so that I could, because the others were allowed to say, well, I feel very strongly about this. And we had to have all the facts and figures. So, you know, I'm sort of out of my comfort zone even commenting on those things. But we did get asked a lot about conscientious objection and would people be... And it's like, yeah. well, clearly, someone if it's against someone's beliefs, they would have to not, not have to be forced to. I mean, how, I can't see how someone would give good care if they were forced to there do something. But they do have to refer and yes. make sure that the care is available somewhere else. And that's what I would worry about. You know, we heard the Savita story that someone would think they were doing the right thing by, by disallowing this care. And for anyone who's been in that situation, you know that by the time you go and seek help, you need that help. You don't go and ask for the help until you are certain. So you don't need an intervention or someone telling you what you think. You, you, might, you might need more information. You might change your mind. But usually you know by the time you ask. Um, and... Um, and so listening to some of the health committee stuff yesterday where people were going, you know, this three-day cooling off period, please, if there, there is still time, the, the podcast will probably go out long after. We have legislation, I hope, but um, because we need it urgently, but please put pressure on your TDs, grassroots gang, uh, please put pressure on your TDs, the three-day cooling off period, it's too impractical for people, and it's also, it adds distress, and for people who say, you know, they want it as early as possible, they're against later-term abortions, which, you know, obviously th those are never ideal, they're, they're usually when, when people have a wanted pregnancy that's gone wrong, so as early as possible, a three-day waiting period doesn't add anything. It doesn't help. So, uh, in fact, it causes distress. So please keep pressure on for things like that. Conscientious objection? Absolutely. People have to be allowed to live by their beliefs, and, and, but they have to refer to the best care. Like, that's even something that exists in, uh, like, a psychotherapist. If, they, if a client comes to a psychotherapist and they disagree fundamentally with something that client has done, yeah. they have a duty of care to tell the client and go, I'm sorry, I, c I can't counsel you because it's bringing up stuff in me, so they have to refer. So, I mean, it exists already in certain things, you Yeah, know? and it exists, it exists for lots and lots of things, and it would exist for this, and, and I think rightly so. And, you know, the idea, that's the whole, the whole point of repealing the Eighth Amendment and giving people back their autonomy is that no one be forced to do something they cannot, they cannot in all conscience or they, yeah. cannot, they cannot cope yeah. with. Like, it's not in them to do. Um... When you're brought onto television, right, for interviews and shit, what, <laughs> what annoys you? About brought on, like, brought out of the Morbeg's cupboard. Do you know what I mean? Like, um... Hello? Who's there? Oh! The one thing I'm, I'm kind Johnny, of... I haven't seen you since you were a boy. <laughs> that sounds really great. The one thing I'm, uh, The one thing I'd be conscious of when I have a guest on, right, is to go... How does the media treat that person? Like, what continual thing? Like, if you're brought onto RTE, 
do you ever get pissed off about certain things that you're continually asked or expected to be a spokesperson on or things like that? Well, first of all, I, I really don't get asked. Um, Why? Have you pissed off that many people? I think I think I'm just a, a, a contentious person now. A loose cannon. A loose cannon. A hussy. Well, I'm a hussy because the thing is, even the and this is something that we do need to talk about a little bit. That even the the like I wasn't in together for yes. I was always just someone who told their story. Yeah. So a lot of the criticism I was getting was like, you're trying to uh, raise your platform. Are you trying to just like, oh my god, if you knew the how little the phone was fucking ringing for anything. Oh, that then will you come down and do a talk? Be, yes, yeah. absolutely, I'll do a talk. And in a way, it freed me up. And to you were that. fucking brilliant at that. Uh, Jesus, you were flying up well, and down the country to every well little I, repeal go. I felt like that was what had to be done. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. So I, d- I didn't, didn't really get asked. And the odd time, now it's starting to come back again and I'll be asked to do things that are nothing to do with repeal, which is also like, oh shit, I'm a person. This is great. Yeah. I, you know, I have, other, other, uh, I have other things and a story, one particular story to tell. Um, but... What is happening, though, is I am turning down punditry gigs because I think they're really hollow and I think they've fucked things up royally. I think people going on to just go, I think this, well, I think the opposite oh. has fucked everything. Yeah. And so I don't want to be part of that. Um, well, it's a great way to make someone's... Like, uh, Emma DeBerry, who was on yesterday, said the same thing. Like, she, she would go on to a show to talk about race and then all of a sudden they have someone on with the opposite view... And it's like, first of all, why is that person on? And now I look like an extremist. Yeah, you're forced into that corner. But also, you don't, there's no discovery. There's no discussion. It's just theatre. You could prescript yeah. them. We yeah. could all prescript them now. So I think things like podcasts where you get to tease things out, yeah. you get to have a discussion with someone, you get to ask someone a question they wouldn't get asked on that list of questions that, you well, know, are tiny safe. tiny amount of time to fucking answer and just people roaring at each other, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think there's also something in, I think it's in the US, and I, I mean, I, again, not an expert, this is just something I heard and it could be wrong, but that I think the length of time in the US, the maximum length of time in the US that people get to, to expand on something is seven minutes. And that within seven minutes, you can't fuck up. You can't get wrong-footed, so you can't get called out on a lie, especially if the, if the moderator is doing what a lot of my moderators do this day and ju- these days and just let people say everything and not go hang on is that true or hang on where did you get that fact or hang on uh, isn't that racist (laughs) you know (laughs) or sexist whatever it is Uh, they're not doing that so it's like when people say let's hear it all out it's like well that's fine but you have to have some kind of moderation if that's not happening then i i think i think it's more damaging than it is discovery and it's something we really fucking lost like i mean yeah even if do you ever see like US presidential debates from like the late 70s and it's two presidents being really intelligent and talking for an hour about boring shit that no one wants to see? Yeah. They used to be like that. US presidential debates used to be about politics and policy and only people who were engaged and interested would tune into it. And e- even anything from the 70s, political debate was more like a podcast where people were having a conversation, people got a chance to speak and it was a true sense of talking about the issues. I think what made it toxic is it, the role of advertising. Possibly. Like, in, in America, like, fuck me, the amount of ads they have in America. Like so the seven is, minutes, you mean, the oh sound yeah. bites. Like, if you've got a half hour, sh- like, we're used to, like, now who watches fucking TV anymore? But, like, in Ireland, a half hour show will have one set of adverts. In America, you'll have maybe four or five sets of adverts, mm. six possibly even at the start. And they're basically bowing down to the adverts. So that seven minute business is probably... Here's an ad for razors. 
<laughs> now can we talk about Black Lives Matter again? <laughs> yeah, very possibly. Very, but the thing with those hour-long ones was that people would then, because they're human beings, which they should be, they would fuck up. They would yeah. fuck up and they'd be called on it and they, they could reflect on it and everyone would, there'd be a discussion. There aren't discussions anymore and now there are just professional contrarians going on and wanking off about what tissues are called. And ah, it's like, yeah. and it's like that, that doesn't add anything. And it's like, no. honestly, it's got to be like, you've got to either, I think, either have lived experience or some kind, or be a public servant, yeah. but this whole role of contrarian it's just, I think it's created a really dangerous atmosphere, honestly, yeah. where, where no one knows what's true. Um, we were, you and I were talking. Uh, thanks. 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 Very odd that you. that was just a backroom clap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that about? <laughs> it's like the light, the level of light here is as if someone's in the light, they won't clap. But uh, we, Listen, we were talking before, the, la the last time we were having gentle pints. <laughs> um, you said something fantastic to me, which was uh, we were talking about platforming and deplatforming. Yeah. And you gave me a beautiful, succinct way to. to, to we were kind of going, how do you decide who should be platformed and who shouldn't? And you said, as soon as a person is arguing for one group to have less rights, that's where the platform stops. That'd be my line. And, and like, deplatforming is only. It's like, so deplatforming isn't, they shouldn't speak at all. Deplatforming is just not in my house. Yeah. So it's, we're back to the pub analogy. The fucking pub. It's real life again. Like, it's I, like I was thinking about, um, did you see Alex Jones recently? He, he got kicked off Twitter and all of that, right? Mm. So Alex Jones was booted off Twitter because he said that victims of a school shooting were crisis actors, okay? Children who'd been murdered were crisis actors and it was a conspiracy. And I was in support of him getting off, kicked off Twitter. Mainly what I'm in support of is definitely removing the person's ability to earn money. I think that's really important. When you de-incentivize the money, then these people... From really, the hatred, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's when money's involved and they're making money from hatred. I've no problem with fucking PayPal or Stripe just going, fuck that, not here. Well, but if, if Alex Jones was doing this and someone on Twitter was arguing with me going, he has a right to say this, it's a free thing. And I was thinking, let's take it off the internet for a second, and let's just say it's a small pub in a village in Tipperary, right? So we're in a small pub in a village in Tipperary. Everyone knows each other in the community, and there's been a tragedy in this village. Uh, we'll say a family have just died in a car crash, three children and the mother, okay? A real fucking tragedy that has affected the entire village. And there's one man called Alex Jones who lives up on a hill, a bachelor, and every Friday... Alex Jones goes into the local pub and he sits down on a table at the end and he goes, the Ryan's up there, lads, who, who lost the three children and the wife. You know they were actors, yeah? Most people in the pub would go fucking apeshit. And now imagine the few people that listen to him were going, tell us that one again and we'll give you a euro. <laughs> so now you've got Alex Jones from up the hill in the pub in Tipperary talking about the Ryans who just had a, tra a tragedy getting five quid a pop to tell the story about how they're actually mannequins. Most uh, rational people would kick the living fuck out of him and the guards would be looking about how to arrest him. And you're not saying he can't drink or he can't go into pubs. You're just making not a choice. Not here, buddy. Not here. It's like Do it like they did in folk mythology. Go into the forest <laughs> and roar it into the trunk of a tree. <laughs> go fucking King Sweeney on it. One day it'll be made into a racist harp. <laughs> 
to use a crude analogy, it's like you can invite someone into your house in good faith, but if they take a shit in the hallway, you can ask mm-hmm. them to leave. I remember, so one of the first times I spoke about deplatforming and I got shit for it from feckin' people who consider themselves centrists and they're like, hear them all out. And it's like, well, like, so I'm in an interracial relationship, right? So, uh, so basically there was a, 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 a nationalist group wanted to have a meeting in a hotel. And I said, well, I won't be going to that hotel again if that meeting goes ahead. Yeah. I didn't even ring the hotel and say, which call it off. Like, they wouldn't listen to me anyway. Who the fuck am I? They wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, unless it's 50 or 1,000 or whatever the fuck, uh, many people. But what I did do was just say it on social media. Like, I, if that goes ahead, how could I? Go? Like, because yeah. it wasn't me saying, don't have it. I was saying, if that happens, I can't in good conscience go there. Knowing that the pe- there's been a meeting there and there might be on, one on right now where people are discussing that someone in my family... Mm-hmm. shouldn't have their rights and is is possibly at a you know at the very far end of the argument is worth harming so why wouldn't i say well like i i couldn't i couldn't go there if that happened now it ended up they, they cancelled the meeting but it wasn't to do with it, and then was everyone was like you deplatformed those people and it's like well fucking good sorry honestly and it's like the same there are some ideas that are dangerous some ideas are dangerous and treating them all equally has led us to a dangerous place. And I don't know if people are starting to feel that yet, but I feel it. And, uh, and it's a very real thing. So it's, very, it's, very different, it's a very different thing to discuss something that's theoretical to you in a far off distant way because you feel safe. So you're not being edgy. You're not being edgy or fresh to discuss that sort of dangerous idea. Because you're safe. That's, you're not being edgy at all. What you're doing, though, is creating an atmosphere where people are, and we've seen it happen, and it is happening, more likely to be harmed. And fuck that. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about uh, the, the, the media? How the media made a lot of noise about Peter Casey recently and his comments? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I Michael D. Higgins, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, they're on. Ah, yeah, that was, that was more of it. You see, because it's a game to them. It was the sheer glee of the it's media. It's a fucking Ooh, a story. Yeah. It's really irresponsible. Hugely. And, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the podcasts that's coming up is um, I chat to Eileen Flynn, who's a mm-hmm. traveller activist, and, you know, the upset, and it's like, this isn't people taking offence. This is genuine harm being visited on their community so it's like when you hear the upset in her voice and you know it's you rehumanize people because it's very easy those one of the the things those people are doing those people who are getting the ears of the media and going oh is this button worth pushing and then they did just dehumanize a group further and And instead of saying okay maybe some people have an issue with something a member of that group did once in their life experience but you cannot generalize about that group in that way so, but the media just went, this is exactly what I'm talking Here's about. Here's some clicks. Feeding frenzy. Here's clicks. some clicks. clicks. Um, uh, yeah, it's in a particularly fucking dangerous one as well, because one thing as well that everyone, all of us should be doing is, is taking ownership within our lifetime how travellers were treated. Yeah. Like, I, when I went to school when I was a kid, like, there was traveller kids in the class who were segregated and treated differently, and, this is, and I saw this from two years of age. So now I, as an adult have to truly reappraise genuine racism within myself. Yeah, same that's here. That's unchecked because, and it's an important thing. It's like, 
we're terrified of the word racism, right? Because it's a bad thing. But you can't be too scared of it because if you are, then you can't take ownership of it within yourself and change, you know? Yeah, we, we all have prejudices and I definitely do. Like, I, that's, that's episode nine. I've mentioned it before. But I, I basically talk about do my you know, own racism. Can we talk about that after the intermission? Because I want to get into the meat and two veg of that. Okay. <laughs> um, Racist. W- would you like... <laughs> Who wants either a piss or a pint? And if you try both, there's a tax. <laughs> All right. Uh, see you in about 10 or 15 minutes. God bless. I have, I'm having one can of del- uh, one delicious Polish can. And I, I'm mixing it up with San Pellegrino, which I, I learned that off David McWilliams. <laughs> he showed me San Pellegrino. The oddest drink in the world is a can of San Pellegrino has a, an al- aluminium peel. What? Yeah, San Pellegrino cans. They've got the, the peel, you have to peel the tinfoil off the top of it. Oh. And it's, and it's an extra 50p for the, for the pleasure of a mechanical orange. <laughs> um, so, what should we talk about now? Oh. I'd like to talk about the recent podcast you did with your magnificent husband, Carl, about race. Okay. Carl, who is an absolute legend, one of the nicest men I've ever met. He is. Who, lovely. as soon as I meet him, I latch onto him to find out about <laughs> very obscure Los Angeles musical uh, things. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, if you get onto movies, you'll never unlatch because he's just, that's his real nerd, nerd place. But um, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. But I did an episode of, of Taranoia recently where um, I brought Carl in. Poor man, long-suffering man. I said, when you come in and do my podcast, and uh, how be- was he with that? Was he, he like, oh, he, I'm not sure? He, yeah, he's very shy. He's yeah. not. He's not a, a front of house person. He's a, a sort of a behind the scenes person. He's a writer, so he's like, uh, no, I don't want. To, I don't want to be talking to the people. And I went, you just went on live line last week. And did you do it at home? <laughs> no, we did. We did that in uh, the Headstuff okay, uh, okay. podcast studios. But he had just been on live line because because there's been an upswing in in. Racism everywhere, um, in overt racism, I guess, because of course people of color will tell you it's never gone anywhere, it's always been there. But uh, so he'd been on with Joe Dovey, and I said, sure, if you can go on with Joe Dovey, you can definitely come on with me. Um, so <laughs> someone's going on, Joe. Yeah, yeah, Joe's not here. I'm sorry about that. Um, but so he did. He did come on, and it was. It's not really an interview with him. It's a chat between the two of us because what I wanted him to be there for was like a, a witness because when, when we talk about race and, you know, I made, uh, made a video called Racist B&B and I wanted to yeah. talk about um, what we would call subtle racism. You know, that background racism. Sure, I didn't hit anybody over the head with a burning cross. Sure, I'm not being racist at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we we are all racist and particularly in a country like Ireland where we grow up seeing so few people of colour around definitely they haven't been on our screens till very recently all that you know so that that you that is in us all and until we acknowledge that in you know as gently as we can with ourselves you know so when someone says to you you know that's racist or have a think about that they're not trying to hammer you over the head or make you feel bad it does feel uncomfortable when you acknowledge it in yourself it feels crap especially when you're married to someone of another race um, poor poor carl but 
but if we don't acknowledge it, we can't, we can't change it. So what I did in the podcast was I brought him on and I talked about a time and uh, I don't know, do you want me to t talk about the incident? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I threw myself under the bus and here I go again. Um, <laughs> so basically, years and years ago, Carl and I had just met and he told me a story, very funny story, a family story it involved him and his mum and in the course of the exchange that happens, there's a, a gunshot fired and the N-word is used. And uh, I thought that's, well, what a hilarious story. And uh, I had started to do, yes, it was hilarious. When he told us, <laughs> um, this is where we're going. So uh, I tried to incorporate it into some stand-up I was doing it at the time about what well, our backgrounds are so different. You know, Grant. So Carl doesn't say anything to me. He doesn't say, don't do it. He doesn't say anything. He lets me go on twice, two nights in a row, and tell the story. Now, it was to a white audience, and they went, ha, ha, ha. Hilarious, <laughs> your backgrounds are so different. Um, <laughs> and I came off feeling really queasy both nights. I was like, this feels, I feel, oh, I feel terrible. I don't want to do it. I don't want, but I should do it. And because this was you using the N-word on stage? Yeah. Yeah. As, as reported speech, something my mother-in-law had said. You should try it in 2018. <laughs> but you see, this is it. I still get people coming up to me. I get comics coming up to me. And they say, real, you know, with the bit between their teeth, they're like, why can't I say the N-word? Mm -hmm. So-and-so told me I could. I'm going, <sighs> well, I'm not going to tell you, you you can't, but I'm going to ask you why you'd want to. Mm -hmm. What's it achieving? I don't think it's a hilarious punchline to your joke. But when I said it, but anyway, sorry, to just to backtrack a bit, so... After those two nights in a row where I was doing reported speech, it was a family story, and I was, it was in a context. All those things people say, you can say whatever you want. You should be able to, and you're a comedian, you should challenge things by saying dangerous things. This is, this is why I'm saying, I've tested that in my own life. I haven't just out there going, don't say it, oh, don't say it, we're too scared. No, I said it, and it made me feel sick, because I now really properly understand the context of how shit it makes someone feel, of the, the circumstances under which that word is used to a person of color, or, or let's say the K word to a traveler, or any of those other words that people say, you should be able to say anything. You can say anything, you're not gonna be taken to prison. But why do you want to? What is it achieving? And I don't think it makes a joke better. If you say the, you know, if, if you're speaking about homosexual people and you use the F word or if you, if you use the M word, and aren't you supposed to be wordsmiths anyway, comedians? Shouldn't, can't you find other words? And I, so I don't think we need to fight hard to be able to say anything. I need, think we need to fight hard to look at, you know, how racist we all are capable of being. I was definitely racist in that moment. I was absolutely unaware of the privilege I had to be able to say any words. Even saying I don't see color is absolute yeah. privilege. Because you don't have to if you're white. You mm -hmm. don't have to. Whereas if you're black, you don't know if you're more likely to be you know, shot in the back if you're a young black man in the US. Um, you, you know, it's, um, you know, racism is bad. Yeah, racism is bad. Thanks for those little <laughs> bits of applause. <laughs> but what Carl said, when I went to him after those two days, and this is why I absolutely feckin' adore him, and I get, get a bit emotional when I talk about him, because how he helps me to learn. This is how, you know, the fucking patience of, of minorities, honest to God, waiting for us to catch up and yeah. cop on. But Carl, um, I went to him and I said, I'm not going to do that story anymore. I said, I think 
it needs the word for the rhythm and all that. Blah, blah, blah. It needs the, you know, needs it in the context. And I said, but I can't say that word. And he said, thanks for getting there. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so. Brilliant. It's not, it isn't about people lecturing people or saying, we're so woke. Uh, you know, you have to unpack it in yourself. You have to look at all the times you've been sexist or racist, you know, and women can be sexist too. You know, um, so we've got to just, it's very uncomfortable though. It's not fun. It's not fun. And I promise you, I was blushing all the way through that podcast and I'm blushing a bit now. <laughs> but it's ownership, isn't it? It's, it's, it's taking ownership of... Um like, it's, Emma Deberry was saying it yesterday, like, it's some people who say, I'm not racist. It's like, she said, what makes you so special that <laughs> you got to grow up as a white person in a white community and escape that? Yeah. We all grew up with racism around, you know what I mean? We come from a racist society. We were people of colour or other or travellers or whatever. So it's part of all of us. So take ownership of it. Yeah. And through that, then you can actually go, how can I be better tomorrow? Yeah. As opposed to getting immediately defensive and going, I'm not fucking racist. You know, because people think racism is just uh, saying the N-word out loud and supporting the KKK. Yeah. It's not just that. And there's a mad thing in America, and I, I don't know is it as a parent here, but definitely in America, where I think white people in America, when they distance themselves from racism, right, they're not actually doing it for the love of black people, but they're being classist. Middle-class Yanks would view we'll say the open use of the N-word and Nazi tattoos as something that the wrong type of white person does. So I'm going to do my racism in a different fashion. And we do that here with direct provision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we don't go around saying the N-word. And I mean, there are so many things to tackle. And I, you know, I don't want to be the issues guy, but it's come up. And honestly, that is something we do need to tackle here. And, you know, I think it's great. So there's that new drama, Taken Down yeah. on RTE. And it's, you know, it's, you know, whatever people think about it as, as a show, I think it's good, but it's getting people talking about it. People don't even know what direct provision is. No. And that's, and that's how the system wants it. Yeah. Um, it's quiet. It's over there. It's, you know, it's disproportionately people of colour in there. And, and like I've said it a million times now, like, but that's our Magdalene laundry, you know? That is our Magdalene laundry now. Yes. It totally is because if we speak to our parents or, or anyone older about... What was that Magdalene laundry crack like? They're just like, I don't know. It was beyond the walls. We, we had an idea something wasn't great, but we didn't really know. You, you knew, but you didn't know. You knew, but you didn't know. And, and I've, I, I actually wrote a piece about that, I think, in April of this year. But it's like uh, uh, that horrible record. It's the same as with acknowledging the racism, but knowing knowing that you know you might you'd say things like you might end up in a laundry and knowing that was bad mm -hmm. but never doing anything it's knowing but not knowing and then now now having to reckon can't move forward till we reckon with the fact that we did know yeah we did know that inconvenient people were just mm -hmm. disappeared and so we knew but we didn't know and i absolutely agree i think i said it in one of my podcasts i think it is it's exactly like that it, it is in 20 years time we're going to be you know, looking back and going, how did we not know? But we do know, so let's try grassroots gang. Yeah. <laughs> let's try and do it. <laughs> but like, it's like you, when you talk to older Irish people and they have so much shame about the Magdalene thing and it's like, I wish I could have done something then. Yeah. They look back. It's like, we now have the opportunity to not be that person in 20 years. It, but it, just, again, the classic one, talk to your TD. How are you getting on TD? What's the crack with direct provision? 
What are your Simple thoughts as on that. it? Yeah. I, I, I guarantee you, not a lot of people say that to canvassers. Can you tell me about direct provision and what your... I don't even know if a lot of TDs would be prepared to answer it. Yeah. They don't want to know about it. Like, it's, it's n- I, I don't think... It's never spoken about in the doll as much, really. It's, it's kind of just a cultural conversation on the fringes of the internet at the moment, you know? It seems to be, yeah. So let's, let's bring, it, bring it more central. And I think that drama is really going to help because it's going into people's homes on a Sunday night. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's something that hopefully will get people talking about it. But yeah, you're right. So that's systemic racism. And there are other ways that that works, like, uh, you know, it, it works against travellers here. So mm-hmm. it's like people will say, and, and you know, during that whole, um, the, the gentleman running for president recently, um, he was saying things like, you know, th- you know, there, there are. I can't remember how it was phrased, and I probably will get it wrong, so please forgive me. But it was like uh, that there are more travellers incarcerated, and it's like, but that's that than other than than any other community or whatever. And I, that statistic might be wrong, so again, forgive me. But it, but that doesn't review how the system, like if Johnny Rugby is going in yeah. against Johnny Traveller yeah, <laughs> into yeah, a courtroom, yeah. the judge is going to be more sympathetic to Johnny Rugby. He came from a good family. He came from a good family. He's a grand lad in the town. Yeah. And, or, and wasn't known to Gardaí. Wasn't That's known a to Gardaí. That's known to Gardaí. Jesus so, Christ. And like, honestly... Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we all know what they're saying. They're like, known to Gardaí. But this is it, like, I'm only on, a, I'm only, like, I've only really, and honestly, again, throw myself under the bus, I've only really started to, started to listen to traveller voices recently because of my own prejudices and because of the fact that we just don't hear so many. I'm trying to seek them out now because mm-hmm. I need to learn. And uh, you can't, I love that phrase, um, what is it people say, um, nothing about us without us, so that people shouldn't just be sitting there on a panel discussing travellers without someone from the yeah. community there. You know, people shouldn't be talking about direct, direct provision without having someone who's living in those conditions there. Like, you know... I am conscious that we are both two white straight people talking yeah. about travellers and black yeah. people up here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Where are they? When's your direct provision episode? It's coming. Don't Yay! worry. Um, I just found out on Twitter that you were involved in a programme called Soupy Norman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you familiar? Do you know what Soupy Norman is? It's this program that came out about 10 years ago, and it's one of those things you go, holy fuck, RTE commissioned this? It's comic <laughs> genius. It is... Um, it's, t- t- yeah. Tell us what it is. It's, it's so, f- unfortunately, they're not on YouTube anymore because some prick took them Or are them they down. not? Are they gone? They're gone. Oh, no. They're fucking gone. Because uh, even, even though I worked on it, I still used to go and watch Soupy to cheer myself it's up every now and again. Because they were only 10 minutes long. T- what it tell was, us what it is. So, Soupy Norman was, there was a Polish soap and it was, um, it was a, you know, a regular soap. It was a real, it so wasn't a comedy. EastEnders, but in Poland. EastEnders, but in Poland. And uh, much further EastEnders. And uh, so, <laughs> basically, <laughs> what happened was Barry Murphy and... Uh, and um, was Mark Doherty. Mark Doherty. Yeah. They got, they would... They made 10 minute cuts of like six 10 minute cuts of this Polish soap, and then they tra- they tra- sort of did dubs for it. So we they, and we all did the voices, but they wrote the things we would say. And so they said see- it in Botovant. Yeah. So I was Esther from Botovant, 
Um, thanks very much, Soupy fans. <laughs> so basically what would happen was um, there'd be the 10 minutes and then the last, the single last, the last scene of every episode was always exactly the same, always with a different script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was Soupy coming in. <laughs> oh, have you got mad with the soup? Um, so <laughs> yeah, there was Mario Rosenstock worked on that, Sue Collins, myself. Uh, yeah, it was great crack. It's the best. Uh, like Again, if you look at it and you go, how the fuck did RT do this? It, it's genius. They almost didn't. It was on very late at night. Yeah, it was shoved. <laughs> it yeah. was on very late at night. And uh, it didn't get a series two. Um, <laughs> it did get a Christmas special. I heard that the reason it got taken down was the, the original Polish company or who took it down off YouTube. Oh. I think that might be true. I think they thought it was going to be translated for the Irish market. Oh! I think. <laughs> 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 and instead, it's, it's, it's us saying things like, uh, Donkey was tired from the journey, so I gave him a carrot and put him on the Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Doherty's, uh, Mark Doherty, he's David O'Doherty's brother. He's a gas cunt. Oh, he's amazing. He's so funny. And he made that film, a film with me in it, it's yeah. called. Yeah, that's Get brilliant. a look at that. If, if it's, that again, it'll probably be online, but uh, a film with me in it. I have a funny story about Mark Doherty. Go on. He used to do loads and loads of voiceover work, you know? Like, way too much. <laughs> and <laughs> one day, uh, like, it was every single day, voiceover work, voiceover work. So one day, anyway, he, he, I think he got his first PC or something, right? So he was trying to figure out how to turn on the PC and how to install some shit. And it was killing him. It was racking his brains, you know? So he was like, all right, for fuck's sake. So he gets the CD and puts it in to, for the instructions on how to do it. And it's his own voice. <laughs> and he just gave up. Can I tell you a secret? Go on. I used to be the voice on O2. Oh, shit! Yeah. What do you yeah. mean? On the phone or Long like on the ago. ads? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it'd be like... You did loads of voiceovers. I did yes. loads of voiceovers, yeah. And, you know, when you're an actor, it's like, oh, yay, something I get paid for. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very hard to, to turn them down. And, uh, you know, they're a real godsend at times. I can't get any voiceover work. You can't? I just what? can't. Stop. I've tried. I don't know. I think drunk limerick aunt. Oh, I that think there's a market yeah. for her. <laughs> I think there's a market for her. But yeah, I'd be like, uh, you have no new messages. <laughs> Which is really depressing if you're hearing you it yourself. Telling. You were you're deliberately trying yourself. to sound automated. <laughs> yeah, no, you have to, it's kind of really, really, like my accent is mad anyway. Um, it's a real mishmash, but for that kind of work, you have to make it even more what they call neutral. Which usually when they say neutral, Especially if you're recording in Dublin, they mean South County Dublin. Yeah. Um, but uh, they mean how they sound in, in their own heads usually. But yeah, so, so you have to make it more what they call neutral. So we're just rounding out the valve a little bit more. What was, the, what was the most fun voiceover thing you did? Oh. There's a question. There's a good question. Most fun. There's a real professional question. I mean, <laughs> there's loads because like I did, uh, well, I did the very surreal... Um, and we talked about this in the last podcast. Did we? We did. Oh, we did a podcast already, but it didn't record. Yeah. 
down in Cork. Actually, I heard your podcast this week, the week we're recording, and it said, yeah, it was unlistenable shit, which I've had re- worse reviews, but... <laughs> no, it was because of the recording. The conversation was amazing. <laughs> but, uh, a room so full of lovely, gentle Cork it people. Was, it was fabulous. It was great. It was in midsummer's night. It was magical. And then we all said, fuck shame. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. In an old church. Uh, but, so I did a thing called... And you, all be, I'd say, I don't think anyone here would remember it, but a thing called Rimini Riddle. Anyone remember that? Yeah? Another, I've, I'm responsible for a lot of the nightmares that happened. So Rimini Riddle was about this, uh, this B&B where there was kind of a portal to another dimension. I'm, not, I'm big on the other dimensions. But, uh, so I played a character called Leo in that, and Leo... Leo was six. And so we'd record on Saturday mornings. <laughs> Unless I'd been out the night before. When Leo would be a bit older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. And I've talked about this on other podcasts, so forgive me for hearing this again. But the thing people always get a kick out of is, now only in Ireland, not in the UK version, but I, I did play a well-known hot chocolate rabbit. Fuck off! <laughs> yes. Yeah. You are not the Cadbury's bunny. Yeah, not for, just for one ad, and only in Ireland. What? Yeah. But it's still the pinnacle of my that? career. Now... Jesus Christ. It was a one-off product. Getting the confection horn. <laughs> that was an attractive... That, that fucked with my sexuality She's a hot bunny. Age, She's a hot bunny. It has to be said. I had to watch her for a weekend to try and get the voice right, so I, I, I know all about it. I caramel. <laughs> This was one with nuts in it. Mm. And I think <laughs> I'm never ever going to get a Cadbury's job again, so feck it, let's go for it. Um, <laughs> I think the script went something like um, you know, there'd be a cartoon squirrel, clearly. Hey there, Mr. Squirrel. Why are you bashing those nuts? <laughs> <laughs> Feck it, you have to work, don't you? Well, she made a... <laughs> and then they sold an actual... It was like a Freddo, but a sexualised rabbit. Wasn't that what it was? Was there a sexualised... I don't think they ever made the... Ra- I think that would have been and that a was step in my, too my far. fucking head. Yeah. I'm after sexualising poor old Freddo, who couldn't be any more androgynous. Freddo is without sex or desire. And now I've just sexualised the poor cunt. <laughs> Fredo's interesting, isn't he? What is he going for now? 20p? 22p. Imagine P. That, or, or Prod. It's going to be mine. 22 cents? 22 cents for a Fredo now? I think that's what the... T- 24. 40 cents for a Fredo. Do we hear 50? Do we hear 50? Do we hear 50 on the Fredos? Do we hear 60? 60 cents on the... 222. Do we hear 222? Do you know why that is as well? It's like... And this is the only hot take I'm going to give on confection. Shh, hot take, hot take. Like, with Mars bars, they just make them smaller. But you can't make Fredo smaller. <laughs> you really can't, like, because he's going to turn into a Cadbury's button before soon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you. Hold on. Have I any more interesting questions? 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 What am I, South African? <laughs> From the internet. All right. If you had to live inside... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, this is the second... you know what? The first time I interviewed, someone asked this question, and the second time I interviewed you, they asked this question oh, too, so we're going to have to do it. We'll have to tackle it. If you had to live inside some sort of fruit, what would it be? Now, before I answer that, 
my favourite quote from the last podcast, the unlistenable shit, was um, this question got asked and we started to go around the fruits and then Blind Boy said, said, no, indignant like, no. Uh, no fucking way I'm living in a dense fruit. Not a chance. Because <laughs> someone from the audience suggested that I should live in a pineapple. And there's two reasons I won't live in a pineapple. Number one, incredibly dense fruit. <laughs> Number two, pineapple contains a chemical called bromelain, which specifically tenderizes meat. So, number one, I'm in a dense fruit being surrounded by juice that tenderizes me. So, get fucked with being in a pineapple. My choice was... I'll go with a, a pomegranate because uh-huh. it's spacious. There's not a lot going on. It's a couple of seeds, a bit of pulp around it, but plenty of room for blind by. <laughs> What type of fruit would you like to live in? What are those yolks on top of the drinks? The zombies? (laughs) (laughs) They were passion fruits. Passion fruits. A passion fruit. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad one. Yeah, yeah, passion fruit. It's kind of, it's a hollow passion fruit. They're hollow, they're hard on the outside. Hard on the outside, so stay dry. A good passion fruit will go nice and leathery after a while, which means you'd be like a hermit crab with a very tough exterior, and you can go back on Twitter. And you could... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, never. That's not about my exterior. (laughs) Back on Twitter as a a fucking passion fruit. Back on Twitter. That sounds like an album that I would never listen to. Passion fruits are very lucky that they're so tasty because they resemble uh, horrible shellfish. You know, if you look at it, if you open up a passion fruit and look at it, it it does not look appetizing. Like, it's very goopy. Um, It's it's a particular brand of yellow that's not appetizing. Some might call it ochre. You know, passion fruits, uh, but they taste amazing. And they exemplify, not the smell of tropicalness, but like the idea of tropicalness. <laughs> I can't believe you've judged my home so harshly. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Tara, for that lovely interview. That was in Vicar Street a couple of months back. Um, There's going to be some more Vicar Street gigs coming up 2019. That feels weird, 2019. Wow. But uh, yeah, keep an eye out for them. That was good crack. I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Of course, I'm obviously conscious of, you know, it's two two white people talking about issues of race that we don't, uh, neither of us have to directly experience, you know. So, um, with that in mind, like it's something I'm conscious of. So there, in in future podcasts, there are going to be there will be a bit of diversity, we'll say, in the guests that I'm choosing, if I'm speaking about issues around that, um, which is the right way to do it, I think. It's the right way to do it. Have a good week. Enjoy yourselves. Don't be too hard on yourselves. Sports. 
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.